welcome from Worcester Talking Newspaper News and in conjunction with Worcester News and the Equipment Services for the Visually Impaired. Today we're bringing you news to you from Friday, October the 13th until today, October the 19th. Our team this evening are Sue Parry, Peter Carter, Lynn Seymour, myself, Kate Hudman and engineers Barry Hurd and Lucy Ballinger. And also, of course, the very essential administration and copying which is done by Carol Hartland and her team, to which we are very grateful. Uh, the team this week are Jean Burbeck, Paul and Jean Atkinson, Sheila Pugh and Maddie Baldry. And they said, said they didn't want their individual names read out, but I've done so anyway. And they're happy to be part of, part of Carol's team. And we are extremely grateful to them. Otherwise, you would not receive your memory sticks and they wouldn't be there to answer the phone for you. So we do say our, our extended thanks to them. We warmly welcome everyone and we are also pleased to hear of new listeners to our service, which is entirely free and also includes a regular magazine. And our Talking Books Library is there on request as well, so if you want a book, don't hesitate to, to ring and ask. Don't be afraid to phone us for about anything else at all, uh, or leave a note in your wallet if you wish. We will respond to you, although not always straight away, and it, the phone isn't always answered as there isn't someone here all the time, but we do love to hear from you. And uh, please send in your uh, comments, whether they're good or bad. Uh, we brace ourselves to the bad ones. Uh, let us know if it's your birthday so we can include you in your birthday greetings. Um, and we will uh, now bring you um, birthday greetings, all the um, headline stories for the week, other interesting stories, telephone numbers, local entertainment, sports stories, the sunrise and sunset. Uh, and there will have at the end we will have the obituaries uh, and the thought for the week. But I'm going to start by asking Sue to open the birthday book and to let us know whose birthday it is this week. Thank you, Sue. Well, we have um, two birthdays this week. Um, one is from Betty Griffiths and the other is um, Brian Ferris. Betty's birthday is on the 29th of October and Brian Ferris is the 3rd of November. We wish you both a very happy birthday. And sunrise and sunset, please. Sun sunrise is 7... 37 a.m. and the sun sets at 6.11 p.m. Thank you very much indeed. Worcester Talking News 01905 767766 Police Non-Emergency 101 NHS Direct 111 Out of Hours Medical Assistance between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. 0300 123 3211 Crime Stoppers 0800 555 111. Community Risk Team for Fire Safety 0800 032 1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline 0800 980 3331. Worcester County Council here to help 01905 768 053. Option 3. The Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. Samaritans, free phone number 116123. Worcester Theatre, box office 01905 611 427. 
Malvern Theatre Box Office, 01684 892277. Norbury Theatre, Droitwich Box Office, 01905 770154. Number 8 Theatre, Pershaw Box Office, 01386 555488. National Grid, formerly Western Power, 0800 917-7953 is a 24-hour service in case there's a power cut. There is a priority service register free on 0800 032 8302 who will provide information, for example, in Braille, large print or alternative languages. Entertainments next. In Worcester at Huntingdon <coughs> Hall, Saturday the 21st of October at 7.30 you've got the Stones and then on Sunday the 22nd of October again at 7.30 you've got Family History with DNA Detective Professor Churi King and at the Swan Theatre Wednesday the 25th of October 7.30 Abermania. In Malvern we have Agatha Christie's and then there were none and that's running from Tuesday the 24th to Saturday the 28th of October. The evening performances are at 7.30 and then there are also matinees at 2.30 on Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday. Also at Malvern on November the 1st at 7.30, Simon Reeve to the ends of the earth. Simon is one of the world's most adventurous travellers, giving a full and interesting talk. And on November the 7th and November the 8th at 7.45, the Forum Theatre of Malvern has Nigel Kennedy, Bark Now, a varied and wonderful evening by this world-famous violinist. Number 8 in Pershaw on Friday the 20th of October, that's tomorrow, we have Discovering Antarctica, Heroic Tales of Shackleton, Crean and Scott. And that starts at 7.30. And on Saturday, the 28th of October, again at 7.30, The Fireballs. And that's an evening of rock and roll hints, hits from the late 50s and 60s. And finally, we've got Norbury Theatre in Droitwich. And Wednesday, the 25th of October, where the Crawdads sing. That's a film... Uh, and there is also Wednesday the 18th till Saturday the 21st, Thursday the 26th till Saturday the 28th of October, the Norbury Players are performing Oklahoma. And that's the entertainment in Worcester. Thank you very much, Lynn. Headline stories for the week. We're starting with Peter. Sword terror in Sainsbury's attack left security guard scared for his life. A drunken man hacked a security guard in the face with a samurai sword in a horrifying supermarket attack in front of terrified shoppers. Full details of the bloody rampage by Philip Mapp in Sainsbury's in Windermere Drive, Blackpool were revealed at Worcester Crown Court today as the sword attacker was jailed for five years and two months. The victim was lucky not to lose his sight in his left eye and will be scarred for life. Members of the public and members of staff would have been utterly horrified at what they saw, said Jonathan Barker, prosecuting. Before the attack, which left security guard Jai 
Gopal needing 12 stitches to his face. The 45-year-old had chased another man around a pool table off the Blackpool Inn, brandishing the same sword while shouting, I run Saddlers, I run Warnden. Armed police responded after a series of 999 calls during the incident on May the 17th. A count of attempted murder will be allowed to lie on the file. Instead, the lead-off fence which, for which Map was sentenced was wounding with intent. Map of Windermere Drive also admitted a fray, possession of an offensive weapon and possession of cannabis. Jonathan Barker, prosecuted, said people called 999 after Map was seen waving a samurai sword in the Blackpool Inn, but police were not initially able to find him. Inside the supermarket, a member of staff described Map as distressed <coughs> and offered him a glass of water. When the security guard, Mr Gopal, asked Map if he had a knife, the defendant said words to the effect of, he had nothing to worry about. Mr Gopal then encouraged the defendant to leave and in fact offered to walk him to the checkout, said Mr Barker. As Map approached him with a sword, Mr Gopal pulled away and told the defendant to calm down. Map delivered three to four blows, one of which connected with Mr Gopal's face and required 12 stitches. When arrested, Map accepted he had been drinking throughout the day. In the interview, he said he had no recollection of the incident. Mr Gopal made a victim impact statement on September the 24th. Summarising Mr Gopal's statement, Mr Barker said he had become very anxious, especially when he is at work, and worries he will be assaulted again. He still has a scar over his eye, which he will have to live with. Map had five convictions for seven previous offences, including a racially aggravated public order offence in 2014, and convictions for battery in 2012. ABH in 1997 and common assault in 1996. Abigail Nixon, defending, submitted character references on Map's behalf and his mother supported him at court. He is portrayed by those who knew him best as a loving, caring, hard-working family man, said Miss Nixon. She said he had slipped through the net of mental health services. Miss Nixon said Map had expressed genuine remorse. Judge Martin Jackson sentencing said, in a shopping area where members of the public were present, that must have been a terrifying incident for everybody involved. And this is the headline um, for Saturday and Sunday, October the 14th and October the 15th. Outrage over postal delays. People are missing vital letters because of Royal Mail postal delays affecting areas in Worcester. People are missing their hospital appointments or having to pay double the amount owed on fines after not receiving their post on time. Councillor Richard Oodle said St John's residents are complaining in their droves as parcels and letters in the area have been arriving late or not at all. He has so far received more than 55 complaints from residents who are concerned at Royal Day Mail de delays and others whose quality of life has been affected by not receiving their post on time. In response, the Royal Mail said there were delays in the delivery due to sickness, absence and vacancies. The company added that it is going through a recruitment drive to solve the issue and has recruited 17 new staff members for the area. Councillor Oodle said, The worst case we had was someone receiving their credit card bill and the letter they received meant they had to pay more after it arrived two weeks late. 
Other cases are missed hospital appointments and another was someone missing out on a job interview. I was actually surprised and shocked at how many people have suffered a delay in mail and it demonstrates how people rely on the service and the impact it has on their quality of life. He feared that in the lead up to December the 25th, Farmer Christmas's presents may arrive alongside the Easter eggs. It may force people to cancel Christmas. I just hope Santa does not rely on the Royal Mail for Christmas. He said that the workers for the Royal Mail are amazing and late post is not their fault. Councillor Oodle has urged the management to take a mixed exchange at the issue. If it does not get fixed, he will be inviting them to a public meeting to, con to um, address the concerns. A Royal Mail spokesperson added, We are committed to restoring our quality of service to our customers. We have plans in place and dedicated teams responsible for improving <coughs> deliveries in Worcester and throughout our delivery services nationwide. In the lead-up to Christmas, we are taking on 16,000 temporary workers, more vehicles and additional parcel sorting sites to handle double the, the normal volume of parcels we expect over that period. These actions, plus others, are already making a difference in some areas and we are confident that they will continue to improve the quality of service for our customers. Monday, October the 16th. Family rushing ill baby to hospital, slam RAC, no show. A family rushing their newborn to hospital were told the RAC could not help them after their car broke down. Emma Brownlee was taking her five-week-old son, Reuben Monk, to Worcestershire Royal Hospital with her partner, Jake, when their car broke down on the A38 near the Ketch roundabout. She continued to the hospital with her poorly baby, but RAC operators told her father, Peter, they would not pick up the car unless Miss Brownlee was on the roadside with the car. The mother and baby were rescued and taken to the hospital by a family member, so Reuben could be assessed for suspected bronchitis. Mr Brownlee and Mr Monk stayed with the car to deal with the recovery at 8.30am on Monday, October the 9th. However, the RAC only agreed to pick up the car at 3.45am the following day, after constant back and forth between the two parties. In response, the RAC said there was a misunderstanding, which meant that they didn't prioritise Miss Brownlee, as they should have, and agreed on a substantial gesture of goodwill to give to the family £330. Reuben's grandfather, Mr Brownlee, said, Being a dad myself, I know the feelings when you can't get to the hospital. It was the way they went like, Your daughter is not ill. She should be there, but she has an ill baby. For someone to say that, sh someone to say that shows a lack of compassion when you're in exceptional circumstances. For them to say that it, to say that really affected me. He, had, he added the whole experience affected his mental health and he struggled to describe how it made him feel. 
a spokesman for the RAC, said, We've apologised to Emma and her father for their experience when they broke down in an extremely stressful situation. We rescue thousands of members every day in all sorts of situations. But in this instance, there was a misunderstanding at our end, which meant we didn't prioritise her as we should have. We agreed a suitable gesture of goodwill and are pleased to say they remain valued members. Uh, on Tuesday, October the 17th, the headline was Bust City Timber Firm owes 773000 Company now officially liquidated, having been shut since August. A Worcester City timber firm, which closed suddenly in the summer, owes more than £750,000 to companies and individuals across the UK, the Worcester News can reveal. D&J Timber, based at the Blackpool Trading Estate East, has officially been liquidated, now documents published Company House, company house shows. The firm was last opened for trading on Friday the 11th of August, but after locking the site up for the day later, it has not been opened since. The door of the firm, which supplies sheds, garden buildings, landscape products, uh, fencing, post and decorative garden products, were bolted shut with bailiffs posting a for forfeiting notice on behalf of the landowners Landstone Rodway Estates Limited. Daniel Cox ran the company with his mum, Joy Cox, until documents were posted on com company's house, citing she would not any longer be a person of significant control on September the 20th. A meeting was held earlier this month and now the firm's listing on Company's House has been updated confirming the firm has gone into liquidation. The published creditors list reveals the extent of the company's troubles. The list signed by firm owner Mr Cox on September the 22nd shows D&J owed £773,585.47 to 31 firms and individuals. The highest amount listed is to Mrs J Cox. The list says she is owed £268,100. Second highest is listed as consumer creditors owed 71,481, while the third is Robert Smith, who the document says is owed 68,000. You lend a firm based in London is owed 40,181 pounds. Funding Circle, another firm based in London is owed 31,902. Markley Card Commercial is owed 21,562 while Lincolnshire firm Arbor Forest Products is owed 18,448. Employees are owed 19,691, while Landstone is owed 35,604. Reporter visited DJ, the DJ site at Unit D1 of the trading estate on Monday, October the 16th, and found the gates still locked. The site looked completely untouched, when employees were told to leave with a number of materials left out in the open in the same position they have been for weeks. Advertising banners are also still on display on a bridge not far from the trading estate's entrance. Attempts to contact the firm's owners have been unsuccessful. The firm's website, dnjtimberbuilding.com, is not in operation while the firm's Facebook site cannot be accessed. 
D&J timber buildings was included in our Trader of the Week feature in 2022 when the firm announced it was moving from premises to a new larger base. <coughs> City Council rakes in 1.6 million parking profit in the past year. 1.6 million pounds profit is a surplus. More than 1.6 million in profit has been made from parking charges and fines in Worcester in the past year. New data shows a hefty profit made by Worcester City Council for the financial year to April 2022 to March 2023. In the district of Witchhaven, 828,000 in profit has been made and £76,000 in profit has been made in Malvern. However, a Worcester City Council spokesperson said that the council would refer to the one million six hundred eighty-seven thousand, as a surplus and not as a profit. They said the income the city receives from parking is directly reinvested in parking enforcement, maintain, maintaining the city's car parks and streets, and providing essential services for Worcester residents. According to the Worcester City Council website, there are seventeen different parking sites monitored by the council. Jane Pickering, Deputy Chief Executive and Director of Resources for Witchhaven, said that the Council had not increased parking charges since 2011. She said, we don't make a profit on our parking services. Any surplus left over once costs have been removed is used to invest in the maintenance and further improvement of our car parks under the Council services. It also helps maintain our strong financial position and keep council tax down, which is why we have done one of the lowest council tax charges in the country. We haven't increased our parking charges since 2011, and unlike other areas, most of our car parks continue to be free after 6pm and on Sunday. We're constantly making improvements, including a rolling programme of maintenance and the recent installation of cash and contactless payment machines in the majority of our car parks. We've also contacted Malvern Hills District Council for a comment. The data was released by the UK Government's Department of Leveling Up, Housing and Communities to show how much profit each local authority in England makes from parking. That includes all the money made from parking charges along with the fines. And this is the headline for Thursday, October the 19th. Vow to save tree from the shop. Residents keen to save a poplar tree have vowed to keep a 24-hour watch on it after a bid was made to cut it down. A sycamore tree on the corner of London Road and Battenhall Place, understood to be around 100 years old, is the subject of a request for it to be felled. The application says the tree, which has a tree preservation order on it, needs to be felled due to large overhang from the base of the road. According to the applicant, Andy Jones of Ambrose Commercial Group said this is the view of a tree surgeon and he fears that it could fall on electricity um, cables. But outraged residents living nearby have now started a campaign to save the tree. Graham Taylor, a resident living at a property in Battenhall Place, directly opposite, says he and others have been checking out, looking through their windows, checking out to ensure nothing happens to the tree after horror stories elsewhere of trees being felled. However, Mr Jones said he would not take action before the outcome of the application. He said the most infamous story of the sycamore gap tree 
an iconic tree on Hadrian's Wall in Northumberland, which was mysteriously felled overnight, had been a wake-up call. They are watching it round the clock. Mr Taylor said, these trees need to be top level of protection, trees protected from the harmful effects of air pollution. Once it is gone, it is gone. It takes decades to grow back and mature. The tree is on the land of number 58 London Road and an artist's impression shows which tree would be lost with an improved parking area. Proposal for the site. There is also an application to reduce stroke thin out the tree and remove major dead wood from the site. Mr Taylor said it would leave space for one car parking space. Really? That's breathtaking. We had a successful campaign four years ago to push the previous owners to cut down ivy and the trees were brought back to full health. Now we will all fight again. Mr Taylor said he was collecting signatures for a letter of objection which will be submitted to Worcester City Council as part of an ongoing consultation. The letter says if a tree is not in a dangerous condition and it is not diseased, there is no case for its removal. Branches that are overhanging are not grounds for a tree's removal. Ian and Jenny Benfield of Battenhall Place have submitted a joint letter to the consultation which says we object to these proposals on the grounds that they would damage important local trees without reasonable justification. However, Mr Jones told the Worcester News the reason for the proposed tree felling was due to advice he had received from a tree surgeon and not to expand the car park. The car park's expansion is not a reason. The trees are on the edge, he said. The previous owners got permission to crown them, which never did work. The one is hanging over the, the road. It is dangerous. It is not because I don't like trees. It's because I don't want it falling, damaging electricity cables. The application can be found at Worc on Worcester. And it, sorry, the number is 23 stroke 00774 stroke TPOA. Vandals Wreck Sanctuary. Veterans have been left devastated after a shed built by a military charity, charity and used as a sanctuary and lifeline by ex-servicemen was vandalised in a heartbreaking attack. The shed in North Stables in Pitchcroft, Worcester, was built and used by Stepway as a base to improve the mental well-being of veterans, providing a wide range of activities to help them overcoming any mental health issues. Charity leaders estimate the damage is in the region of £500, as both the locks and the doors have been destroyed in the attack. The attacks took place less than three months after the shed was finished. The work to the shed was paid for via a grant of £5,400 from the Prime Foundation, applied for by the Charities Community Project lead, Paul Taylor, himself a veteran. Veterans and civilians worked together to assemble the shed. However, it has since been subjected to two more attacks, both of which have been reported to the West Mercia Police. The latest attack was yesterday. 
The chief executive, Dawn Turner, who founded the charity, said, Within the last week, we have had our shared stroke workshop broken into twice. Nothing was taken. It was just pure vandalism. The damage has left the doors ruined. Therefore, we need to find funds or kind donations to replace them. We are absolutely devastated, and it has upset so many veterans that we support. She added, the veterans are absolutely disgusted. It's really heartbreaking. The ethos of the charity is to provide a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. This action has destroyed that ethos. For her, this is personal as well as professional. Her son Scott is still a serving soldier with the Royal Artillery, where he has been for 19 years, while her other son, Robert, is a veteran after he spent nine years serving in the Royal Artillery. Both completed tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. The charity provides support for 200 people, veterans and their families. The shed was used for all sorts of projects to improve the mental health of soldiers, including woodwork, mushroom farming and beekeeping. Some of those for whom the charity is a lifeline include ex-servicemen with PTSD. The age range of those helped is between the ages of 24 and 95. The matter has been reported to West Mercia Police and those with information can contact them on their non-emergency number 101. Quoting incidents reference 26, 31, 16, 10, 20, 23. A Worcester woman has praised the paramedics and nurses who helped her when she was admitted to hospital, despite having to wait for hours in the back of an ambulance. Elizabeth Ann Smith had felt increasingly ill for a few days when she called 999 on Saturday, September the 30th. But she said paramedics Martin and James were professional, knowledgeable and caring when they arrived. I was taken to A&E in Worcester, where they both looked after me and treated me in the ambulance for several hours, she said. When their, their shift had finished, I was then transferred to another ambulance and two more paramedics took over and were just starting their shifts. They were Claire and Matt. They both were excellent and continued to look after me for a few hours in the ambulance. Mrs Smith said a TV crew from Channel 4's 999 on the front line had come out with the first ambulance but had not been able to carry on filming when she was transferred to the second. In the meantime, a nurse from A&E came out to check on my health readings, said the 77-year-old. I finally was taken into the corridor where I was checked over as they did certain tests on me. Even, th even though I was in the corridor waiting for a room, I was being checked and looked after all the time. Being in the corridor was a bit of an eye-opener, but I like people watching, she joked. Mrs Smith was kept in for nearly a week with what turned out to be a bug in her lungs. I would also like to say a very big thank you to all the nursing staff, doctors and cons consultant who explained everything in detail to me, she said. They were all faultless. They are overworked, but they are so lovely and so dedicated. Also, there was one more paramedic called Nick Carson. He also went out of his way to help, especially when my husband came in. I would like to thank them all. They do a wonderful job and should be respected by all of us. Grill Restaurant is set to open. A country estate is set to open a restaurant in the heart of Malvern. Maddersfield Estate is transforming the old TSB building in Church Street into a grill restaurant. The restaurant will also include a click and collect butchery and will sell meat 
that comes from the estate's own farm. It will even sell beer made on the estate. Hoardings bearing the Maddersfield name have appeared on the shop unit, unit which has been emptied since Mal Malvern's branch of TSB closed in 2021. Edward Ford, head of food and beverage operation at Maddersfield Estate, said the restaurant will form part of a wider project. This has already got underway and with the introduction of regenerative farming processes on three farms owned by the estate. Our cattle are allowed to roam free, they're fed on grass and hay with no supplementary feed, said Mr Ford. The focus is on the animals and on doing everything as ethically as possible and making sure they're well nurtured. And it was always the aim of to sell produce to the local community. The restaurant will have a charcoal grill and there'll be a focus on natural food, beautifully cooked. We are also starting to make our own beer and that will also be sold in the restaurant. There will also be the click and collect butchery element so we can make sure we're providing for people at home as well. While the date for the restaurant's opening is yet to be set, it is hoped that this will be sometime in February 2024 and the opening is good news for the local economy. We are creating jobs at the farm and the restaurant <coughs> itself will be filled with a whole new team, said Mr Ford. He said longer term projects at Maddersfield include one to grow heritage grains with a view to producing its own flour and plans to open a cafe at the estate. A plan to build more student flats above a city centre supermarket has been revealed. The move would see 18 new student flats built above Tesco Express in Fourgate Street. The floors above the supermarket are already home to 28 student flats, with more set to be built under plans to add two more storeys to the building by applicant YABC. A statement included with the application said, the proposed extension has been carefully considered to ensure that there would be no detrimental impact on the character and appearance of the building, the street nor the sorry, conservation area. The overall height of the building as extended would be slightly taller than the neighbouring buildings but by virtue of the design and choice of materials it is not considered that the building would appear dominant or incongruous. In June, a move was made to allow an empty multi-millionaire pound student accommodation block in the city centre to be opened up to young adults in supported living. The four-storey 83-bed Sansom Hall in Sansom Walk, Worcester, which was built in 2008 as student accommodation, has been left mostly empty because of a stipulation that means only students can rent rooms in the building. The building has since been sold and was last listed with a guide price of three million. Based Mar Marson property, self-referred to in the application as a potential bias for the city centre building wants to scrap a rule included in the original planning permission from 2007 which limits tenants to only those in full-time education at either college or university and last month the 48 room court muse in nearby Farrier Street was put up on um, sale for around three million a controversial plan to, to turn the student halls into what would be the 
city's biggest homeless shelter was rejected by Worcester City Council in 2022 over antisocial behaviour and safeguarding fears. Councillors also ruled it out would be... In, sorry, let me start that bit again. Councillors also ruled it would be inappropriate to build the shelter in the city centre next to several restaurants and nightclubs and then recently not re renovated railway arches. Manchester-based Growlar Developments then lodged an appeal with the government's planning inspectorate hoping to get the decision overturned but it was rejected again. New £35 million A and E mm. opens. The new Accident and Emergency Department at Worcester Hospital is now open and seeing patients. Worcestershire Royal Hospital's new £35 million A and E is now open and welcoming its first patients throughout the doors today. The aim of the NHS bosses is for the new emergency department to address pressures which have led to patients waiting in corridors or in ambulances before they can be admitted, meaning increased waiting times. Photos show the outside and inside of the new A&E department in Worcester. They show a spacious, airy waiting area with a laminated floor and plenty of natural light and bays for ambulances to use to assist with the transfer of patients. A spokesperson for the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said, We confirm that we are seeing patients in the new emergency department now. We're keen to emphasise, though, that the public should continue to contact NHS 111, either online or by calling 111, to receive free urgent care advice before attending our emergency department, and to only use 999 in a life-threatening emergency. Where people do need urgent care, they are encouraged to choose from all of the services that are available, including their local pharmacy, GPs and minor injuries units. Pressure on A&E and complications of the size and layout of A&E have been an issue the Account Acute Trust has attempted to address. The Royal was built in 2002, when it was estimated that up to 45,000 patients would be admitted to the emergency department every year. However, by 2019 stroke 2020, the number of attendees had risen to 75,000 and continued to increase during the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2019, a Focus Care Quality Commission inspection found urgent and emergency services to be inadequate, with patients waiting too long for treatment that frequently took place on corridors. A grandmother is taking on an epic trek across the hottest and most famous desert in the world in memory of her brave grandson. Vicky Bass said she is looking forward to the adventure of a lifetime when she walks across the Sahara to remember little Arthur Spackman who was cared for by acorns for the three counties in Worcester. She will be hiking 50 kilometres across hot sands along with a team of other intrepid explorers, all raising money to help the charity con continue its essential care for children with life-limiting or life-threatening conditions. I absolutely hate spiders. It's those legs, Vicky said. The most important thing on this trip is to make sure no camel spiders come and chase me. 
Apparently they run towards you for the shade. She added, but Arthur will be in my thoughts for the whole time. He defied the odds and if he could, could do, then I can do this. Arthur was given just weeks to live after being born with a very rare genetic disorder, but bravely fought the condition and was two years old when he sadly died in 2019. Vicky said, we are forever grateful to Acorns. The charity affected our lives with the support they gave. We were scared and emotional, but knowing we were well supported, knowing Arthur was being looked after, I knew we were safe as well. Without fundraising, Acorns and the amazing work they do would not exist. Until you realise, you do not understand the importance of it. So I'm making other people aware and I'm doing this to make sure Acorns is here for families like mine long into the future. The whole family, along with Arthur's mum and dad, Charlene and Ashley, has since undertaken various fundraising activities for the charity organised by Arthur's uncle Chris Anderson, including charity walks and cycling challenges. Now Vicky will join the, the Team Acorn Sahara Trek 2023, which got underway on October the 14th. She will also be accompanied by Chris, and together they have so far raised more than 6,500 on their Just Giving page. <clears throat> the trek will last eight days and take the team of 27 amazing Acorn supporters to Marrakesh to follow ancient caravan routes across the desert and the Atlas Mountains. Vicky said, I wanted to do something that was out of my comfort zone. I turned 50 this year. I'll be doing it in my sister's memory too. She added, we are going to be sore and sleep deprived. Chris is also trying to get me to sleep under the stars, but I'm not going out there, there with all those bugs. You don't know what will crawl onto you. Acorns Children's Hospice provides specialist palliative care for children and young people with life-limiting and life-threatening conditions and support for their families. In the past year, the charity has cared for more than 700 children across the Black Country and wider West Midlands and almost a 1,000 families, including those who are bereaved. Acorns needs around £27,000 each day to provide its children's hospice care, with two-thirds of that amount coming from generous donations and fundraising by the local community. Visit Vicky and Chris's fundraising app, fundraising app at um, www.justgiving.com stroke fundraising Chris Anderson 58 and then find out how you can help Acorns by visiting their Just Giving page as well. You'll be warmly received. New coins are unveiled. <clears throat> Eight new coin designs reflecting the King's passion for conservation and the natural world have been unveiled by the Royal Mint. The new designs which will feature on coins ranging from the 1p to the £2 will soon start to appear in people's change. The designs are inspired by flora and fauna, celebrating creatures such as the red squirrel, the hazel dormouse and the bee. Flowers and the oak tree leaf are also depicted. New coins will enter circulation in line with demand from banks and post offices. The Mint expects that the first coins will enter circulation by the end of the year. And now we'll read some sport items for you. And now we're going to read some sport items for you. The Worcestershire duo Hannah Jones and Replica II tasted success at the recent Pet Pan Plan Equine Area Festival Summer Championship in Lincolnshire. Jones, 
and the Horse Replica 2, both from Upton on Severn, won the Inter 1 bronze title at the prestigious competition, which aims to give grassroots riders the opportunity to experience top competition style conditions in classes from preliminary to intermediate. The Pet Plan Equine Area Festival Summer Championship is the pinnacle of a summer of area festivals around the country during July and August where qualification for the much sought after tickets to the championship is at the forefront in riders' minds. More than 800 horses and rider combinations took their turn to between the whiteboards to qualify for all levels from preliminary to inter one. The partnerships contending the Pet Planet Quine Inter One bronze title had to produce an extremely polished performance and show off their horses star quality on the day and Jones rode 13 year old replica 2 to victory achieving winning score of 67.10%. On replica Sorry, on Replica 2's performance, Jones said, It did really feel good. She stayed with me and really stayed soft and supple. She can sometimes get a little rushed and then go against the bend and a little more, but today she stayed nicely in the hand and seemed to concentrate really well. British Dressage Chief Executive Jason Broutigan added, it's hard to believe that Pet Plan Equine is looking forward to the 25th anniversary next year when we have been celebrating 25 years since the inception of British Dressage in 2023. We have been in partnership for a long time and continue to be extremely proud of what we have achieved together. We have had record entries for the area festivals this year, new and old members alike, (coughs) and see the area festivals as a target for their competing. The structure encourages them to work up to another level or further as each season goes by, which helps to maintain these high participation figures. Deal terminated. The owners of Worcester Warriors Women Cube International have had their contract with the Isle of Man TT terminated amidst amidst financial problems. On Tuesday evening, Cube confirmed that they had pulled Warriors Women from all competitions in what was a shock announcement. Andy Moss, founder at Cube International, said, It has been our privilege to support Warriors Women through the last season. Despite our best efforts, we have had to make the emotionally challenging decision to withdraw from the league. We have confirmed to players and coaching staff that we will honour their salaries and expenses for September and October. And since then, it has also been revealed in the last 24 hours that Cube International are in financial trouble. They have consequently had their contract terminated with the prestigious Isle of Man TT race, with whom they were the official merchandise supplier. Local Worcester business, Cube International, had originally agreed an interim acquisition of Worcester Warriors women's assets and entitlements back in November of last year, 
and provided funding to start the 22-23 season. Cube then made that acquisition permanent mm. in January 23, committing to Warriors Women for a 10-year period. But earlier this year, Warriors Women set up a Just Giving page in order to raise crucial funds to support them through the summer. The page has been organised by the main sponsor, Cube International, as a means of helping the club get through the non-playing months ahead of next season. But just before the Alliance Premiership women's rugby season begins next month, it appears Cube do not have the funding to support the club. They confirmed players, coaches and staff would be paid salaries in full for September and October. And this is about Worcester City women uh, football team. Striker Olivia Mitchum scored a hat-trick on Sunday as Worcester City Women Football Club beat Shifnal Town Ladies 5-0 to move to the top of the West Midlands Regional Women's Football League table. City took the lead through Holly Rogers in the 15th minute of the game, but only after Shifnal wasted two opportunities to take the lead themselves, with the woodwork coming to City's rescue. But City took control of the game from there and Mitchum scored her first in the 24th minute as Rogers turned, turned provider to produce a cross into the Schiffnell box for the City striker to take a touch and slot home. The game did take a twist just before half-time, however. Holly Congrave was given her marching orders from the referee after denying a goal-scoring opportunity and City had to play the remainder of the game a player light. But despite the setback, Worcester managed the game well after the break and they defended well, while still holding plenty of threat going forward. And the result was put to bed in the 65th minute when Emma Congrave con converted from the spot. At 3-0, City would have been forgiven for sitting back and protecting what they had all whilst done whilst down to 10 players. But they went on the offensive and Mitchum made it four after struggling off, shrugging off the defender and tucking the ball into the bottom corner. With time almost up, Mitchum completed her hat-trick as she re reacted quickest to Congrave's effort, being saved to tap home and wrap up an extremely comprehensive victory. With Lye Town ladies in cup action, the result does mean the city replaced Lye at the top of the table, albeit having played games more than their closest title rivals. City remain at the top. Worcester City extend their lead after a win at Corsham. Worcester City extended their lead at the top of the league with a 3-2 win at Corsham Town. The weekend also saw memorable away wins for Worcester Raiders, who are up to third in the Hellenic League Premier Division and Malvern Town. City find themselves six points clear of second place Caution after a dramatic clash on Saturday, October the 14th. The visitors scored three, half, three first half goals through Liam Rocket, Carl Bermonti and Elliot Hartley, but a red card to captain Adam Mace at the end of the half converted, and a converted penalty gave Caution hope at 3-1. Goalkeeper Hayden Whitcomb pulled off a number of stunning saves to keep Caution at bay throughout the second half. Caution eventually scored another penalty in stoppage time to make City sweat, but the league leaders dug deep and secured the three points. Raiders opened the scoring just before half-time in their game against Fairford Town, Bailey Fuller putting them in front, but Fairford hit back quickly, meaning the teams went into half-time break at 1-1. Just before the hour mark, Fuller doubled his tally to put Raiders in front, 
they held on to get a well-earned three points. It was an early start for Malvern Town on Saturday as they travelled to Exmouth in the Southern League, Division 1 South. As a reward, Malvern came from behind to win 3-1. Exmouth took the lead after 26 minutes through Steer and held on to the lead until half-time. The Hillsiders equalised in the 53rd minute through Ania with a header and took the lead with when Hayes turned home a ball from Watts. Ania sealed the points in stoppage time with a powerful strike to make it 3-1. conference at the University of Worcester will examine how ordinary men and women used their voices during the wartime to either support or criticise government po policy. It takes place at the University of Worcester's St John's campus on Saturday November the 11th and will coincide with a free public exhibition between November the 3rd and the 13th at the Hive in Worcester. Focusing on the United States military actions, presentations will be given on a variety of conflicts during the Civil War. Um, that's the Korean War. The Vietnam War to provide a comprehensive analysis of the US public's reaction to conflict. The keynote address will be delivered by Dr Andrew Johnston from the University of Leicester, focusing on the most savage national debate. The discussions between 1939 and 1941 in response to the outbreak of the war in Europe involved a diverse array of people and arguments and Dr Johnston's talk will focus on these voices, the political coalitions they represented and the organisations they, they created. The ordinary people under examination represent a diverse range of political persuasions and ethnicities, including conscientious objectors, Welsh Americans, conservative women, planter men, active duty service people, Japanese Americans, intellectuals and activists. Joseph Ricks is the one of the coordinators of the events and is also going to be speaking at the conference. He says, the conference and exhibition will work in conjunction with to offer a fascinating historical insight with the way that ordinary Americans responded, either positively or negatively, to the outbreak and development of conflict. It's an opportunity to come and see a side of war which is often overlooked but is vital in order to understand how conflict was received by those who had little say in the matter, says Joseph. He added, the conference is designed for people with access to some of the most new and exciting historical research on the wars of the United States, while the exhibition at the Hive will give physical representation to the conference and take visitors back in time to see how people like us responded like us responded in war. The book to book a place at the conference, search for pro and anti-war on the university's website. The fee for attending is twenty pounds, concessions ten pounds, and eight pounds for university graduates. The exhibition at the Hive will be free for the entire duration. Pilot is honoured with blue plaque. 
A blue plaque was installed at a Worcester school in honour of pioneering woman pilot Sheila Scott, OBE. RGS Worcester celebrated the installation of their third blue plaque, unveiled by the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Louis Stephen. That marks the achievements of Sheila, who broke more than 100 aviation records. The plaque for Sheila sits proudly alongside that of Alice Otley, the founder of what became the Alice Otley School, where Sheila went to school. In 2007, the Alice Otley School merged with RGS Worcester. Born in Worcestershire in 1922, Sheila attended the Alice Otley School between 1927 to 39, and she is known for her pioneering achievements in aviation. Sheila was the first British pilot to fly solo around the world in 1966 and latterly in 1971, completing an epic 34,000 mile world and a half flight where she became the first person to fly over the North Pole in a small aircraft. The Worcester Civic Society first approached RGS Worcester last year about their wish to recognise the incredible achievements of Sheila and the school was delighted to support the request. Honorary Secretary of the Civic Society, John Wixon, who also taught at RGS Worcester for a number of years, said this is an appropriate location to place a plaque in recognition of Sheila Scott, not least because her achievements have the potential to inspire inquiring pupils who will be looking at the plaque as they come into school each day. Guests enjoyed a reception at the school and were welcomed by Headmaster John Pitt before hearing from the Mayor and then from Sheila Scott's biographer, Judy Lomax. Civic Society members were joined by the four RGS Worcester School captains. <clears throat> Headmaster Mr Pitt said, It has been a pleasure today to welcome the Mayor of Worcester and so many of the Civic Society for the unveiling of another blue plaque at the school. Sheila Scott's aviation achievements are quite remarkable and represent so much of what we instil in our pupils today. A sense of adventure, a commitment to pursue their passions and resilience in the face of adversity. We are very grateful to the Civic Society for helping us to celebrate Sheila's achievements in this way. The blue plaques are a testament to the rich and varied history of our school and to the many achievements of our community. Sheila was awarded an OBE in 1968 and was the founder of the first governor of the British branch of the 99s, an international organisation of women pilots created by Amelia Earhart. Sheila died in 1988, aged just 66 from cancer, but her achievements and memory live on in an aviation history. Filthy, cramped cages and excrement-filled dog beds were just some conditions animals were left in at a registered sanctuary. Graham Stevens of Broad Street Bromyard has been jailed for eight months and banned from keeping animals for life after pleading guilty to eight offences under the Animal Welfare Act. Shocking pictures show the appalling conditions animals lived in at Little Meadow Animal Rescue, which Stephen was the owner of. Stevens was the owner of. The 63-year-old sentence comes after 44 animals were found at Little Meadow Animal Rescue at Stoke Bliss near Tenbury Wells. Around 35 were held in one room in a static caravan after a warrant was executed at the property by West Mercy Police in March 2022 
due to repeated reports of animal neglect. Little Meadow Animal Rescue was initially set up in 2010 and looked after various animals. This month's appeal hearing at Hereford Crown Court found he had caused unnecessary suffering by failing to provide appropriate farriery, dental treatment or address a heavy lice infestation on three donkeys. It also failed to provide appropriate farriery treatment for a bacterial infection and a heavy lice infestation for a fourth donkey. It was also found he caused unnecessary suffering to a Chinese crested dog after failing to provide veterinary treatment for an eye condition and dental disease. Included in these accounts were keeping two rabbits and a guinea pig in a faeces covered cage of insufficient size, keeping four tawny owls and a little owl in filthy cages that were too small and too close to dogs and confining a squirrel in a dirty cage that was too small and was also too close to dogs. In a statement to the court, RSPCA Acting Chief Inspector Thea Kerrison and Inspector Susie Smith said the seven donkeys and two alpacas found at the site had little to no grazing and were eating dirty wet straw which had been laid as a dry base to stand on. It added that broken barbed wire fencing, scrap metal and many hazards were found in the area. Inspector Smith said you could smell the stench, ammonia and faeces as soon as they opened the door to the static caravan where they found faeces caked in the floor, dogs both loose and in cages, some stacked on top of each other, caged rabbits, a budgie, a squirrel and owls with feathers caked in faeces. Two owls were put down after a veterinary assessment. At the same time, the squirrel was also put to sleep, as grey squirrels cannot be released back into the wild under invasive species legislation. After being rescued from the registered charity site, the remaining animals have been rehoused or rehomed. Tribute date at memorial. <coughs> memorial service to remember the heroic actions of Worcester soldiers will take place in a city park later this month. The service marks 109 years since the Battle of Gallivot which saw 187 soldiers from the 2nd Battalion Worcestershire Regiment killed or wounded. On October the 31st 1914 their counter-attack saved Ypres from capture and the British Army from defeat but their heroics came at a heavy price. A commemoration service is being held at the Gallivot Park which was built in honour of those who lost their lives in the First World War and was named after the battle. It takes place on, on Sunday, October the 29th at 11.30am and will be led by Reverend Colin Butler. The service is being organised by the Worcestershire branch of the Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regimental Association in partnership with Worcester City Council. Earlier this year, a refurbished monument to the men of the 2nd Battalion Worcestershire Regiment was unveiled in the Belgian village of Gallivelt. The memorial features the names of the 34 men killed at Gallivelt and its unveiling, which took place in March, had been delayed because of Covid. Worcester's then Mayor, Adrian Gregson, attended the service alongside dignitaries of the Zonnebeke municipal area, Worcester ambassadors, representatives of the Mercian Regiment, Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regimental Association and descendants of the men who fought at Gullivolt. Nigel Fish, chair of the Worcestershire branch of the Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regiment said, it stands to the perpetual credit of the regiment 
that at the darkest hour of that great battle, when others around them were in retreat, our war-torn officers and men went forward, unflinching to meet the unknown odds, by their devotion saved the day. The day's fighting had cost the 2nd Battalion dearly. A third of the battalion's remaining strength, 187 all ranks, had been killed or wounded. Gallivelt Park, Worcester, came about in recognition of the importance and significance of this battle. Memory walks in honour of a beloved dad who died with Alzheimer's disease have now raised more than £5,000, leaving a family overwhelmed as the fight continues to find a cure. Two memory walks, one in Worcester and one in Ludlow, have now raised £2,758 for the Alzheimer's Society, added to last year's funds and making a grand total of 5385 both this year's walks were held in memory of Doug Jackson, 81, of Beverley, near Worcester, who suffered from both Lewy body dementia and Alzheimer's disease before his death. His daughter Kay Brearley and her husband, Lee Brearley, both 57, of Lavender Road, Worcester, welcomed the support they received in both memory walks, one in Worcester on September the 30th and the other in Ludlow on October the 8th. <coughs> the five-mile walk started at the Pitchcroft car park by the pump house, heading along the river to Diglis Bridge and back along the river to the pump house. Kay Brearley said, We are over the moon as these are just... Our, la our fundraising walks we feel that have gone out on a high. We're just overwhelmed with people's generosity. We have put a lot of time and energy into this year's walks and are grateful that the money we have raised has more than added to last year's total. We want to go out on a high in memory walks but we'll be thinking of other ways that we can support the charity in future. Doug Jackson was a former mechanic costing engineer and draftsman and died on October the 8th, 2021, having only been diagnosed the year before. However, his family say he continues to be a source of inspiration to them in fundraising to help others with Alzheimer's disease. The latest figures show there are over 9,000 people living with dementia in Worcestershire alone, over 84,000 across the West Midlands and around 900,000 across the UK. Mr Jackson was born in Mill Street, Ludlow on September the 14th, 1939, educated at Ludlow Grammar School and initially worked for the um, E.B. as a draftsman, but in 1961 he was called up for national service and was posted to Tripoli. Those who wish to support the family can do so by visiting www.justgiving.com fundraising memory walk of 23, uh, sorry, 23K Brearley. Solar Farm Plan Fight Hundreds of residents are rallying together against plans for a solar farm, which some say will look like a prison camp. Canterbury-based Tyler Hill Renewables wants to cover 64 acres of farmland in Comhampton, near Ombersley and Sitchhampton, with rows of solar panels. 
Residents and businesses said that they are against the solar panel farm because the country needs to become self-sufficient and cannot lose its grade one agricultural farmland. Resident Anthony Jordan said, I feel it is not so much for me, but for my family, my daughter and my grandson and the impact it can have on the world for the future. It is disappointing, but it is the order of how the world works. About 350 people have so far signed the petition against the farm. Some worry about the impact on the village, which was recently voted as one of the most desirable, and the narrow roads that are unsuitable for large vehicle access. Resident Nikki Deakin said, The land has nine public walkways, and to accommodate the provider will section off places with metal fencing to allow them to pass through. For the people that walk it, it will feel very enclosed, and then you'll lose the people who go to enjoy the great outdoors. For the people living around it, you'll see what looks like a prison camp. It is like industrialization. We have chosen to say solar panel plant because it is not a farm. A farm is a nice soft connotation, and they are not growing anything, and it is not a natural use of the land. Stuart Adams, head project manager at Tyler Hill Renewables, said the temporary solar farm would improve biodiversity by over 30% and allow the land to recover from years of intense agricultural use. We have to change how we get our energy, and we can do this whilst also producing all the food we need, he added. We can build all the solar farms the government has said we need to on less land than we use for golf courses today. We can even use our solar farms to feed the country too by grazing sheep on them like we plan to do at Comhampton Solar Farm. Our proposals are very carefully designed and supported by the advice of transport experts who will work with the council to ensure that the low volume of traffic required to develop a farm is carefully rooted and happens during times when the local road network is at its quietest. People across Worcestershire are being encouraged to join in a big recycling hunt as part of events this week to promote recycling. One of Worcestershire's county council's main main I'll say it again. One of Worcestershire County Council's main priorities is to encourage people living in the country to reduce, reuse and recycle. On average, around 11% of the waste put into black bins in Worcestershire is actually something that should be going into the green recycling bin. Some of the commonly misplaced items that are thrown into black bins are paper, card, plastic bottles, pots, tubes and trays cans, aerosols and glass. This year's Recycle Week theme is the Big Recycle Hunt and it focuses on items that could be recycled but are not routinely recycled. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said, even though we are recycling more than 40% of our waste, we're still seeing some common items placed in the black bin when they should be recycled. This year's Recycle Week provides us with a platform to highlight some of these items to try and encourage people to think what where, about where they're putting them when they finish with them. Recycling an item is rather than, rather than throwing it in the black bin means that it will be dealt with in a much more environmentally friendly way by making it into something new. During Recycle Week, 
County Council is asking residents to think about recycling items that are commonly put in the black bin, such as clean plastic food trays, shampoo bottles, aerosols, food tins, paper and card and glasses. And glass, not glasses. Nationally, almost 9 out of 10 people are already recycling, but 55% of households still put items in the general rubbish that could be recycled. Worcestershire's recycling is processed at EnviroSort. It produces around 280 bales of recyclable material daily and processes over 75,000 tonnes of recycling each year. Shop-to-be restaurant and flats. Knowles Travel Goods in Broad Street, Worcester, which dates back to 1884, looks set to be stripped and turned into a new restaurant, according to a recently revealed planning application. The family-run leather and luggage store, which has been passed through five generations, announced in August it would be closing its doors after the building was sold. The new plans would see the ground floor turned into a new restaurant with an extra storey added to the front of the building and another two storeys to the rear to make way for seven new flats, including five two-bedroom and one two one-bedroom flats. The latest plan for the new restaurant is one of several planned for Broad Street, including a new restaurant on the site where, where the country's most famous sauce was first made. The new restaurant will be taking over the vacant unit at 68 Broad Street, where chemist John Wheelie Lee and William Henry Perrins first joined forces to create Worcestershire sauce more than 180 years ago. Worcester City Council also approved a plan for a new cafe in the Broad Street last month. Beauty Salon Pura will be turned into a new cafe under plans by chef Ashley Quinn after the move was backed by planners. The existing salon would move to the rear of the ground floor grade two listed building and run separately from the new cafe. A new Victorian style shop front would be built to match the neighboring buildings in Broad Street and fix the damage to the current entrance. Plans to turn an empty five-storey building and a former phone shop in Broad Street into a new pub called Cocky Anchor were backed in 2022. Hampshire-based developer Anchor Real Estate is converting the Grade 2 listed building opposite the Weatherspoon's own crown into a new micro-pub serving beer and ale as well as selling takeaway bottles and cans. A new conservatory and decking would also be built on, top, on the top floor offering a, a unique experience with views across a wide area of the city centre that has been out of reach for general public for decades. <coughs> An award-winning city businessman dubbed Britain's best baker has come up with a new classic sandwich which may have just made a marriage in food heaven. Peter Cook's Bread and the Beefy Boys have joined forces as the City Bakery in the Hot Market announces its new sandwich, which is already whetting appetites far and wide. <coughs> there may now be a new taste sensation equa equa equating to providing a winning formula. The Beefy Boys plus Peter Cook's Bread equals the ultimate sandwich. Award-winning Peter Cook, who is known for supplying the Beefy Boys with buns for their coveted burgers, has now launched a new venture. The Real Bread campaign supporter has already won Britain's Best Loaf and the BIA Baker of the Year competition. His team has been willing 
has been selling, sorry, the classic Reuben sandwich, a New York deli style sandwich, which made using Beefy Boy's pastrami and his own Polish rye bread with caraway seeds, homemade made sauerkraut, cornichons, Russian dressing, rocket and le le lettuce. Mr Cook, 57, said people love it and are coming back again. There has been a lot of interest. You have got the National Burger Champions collaborating with Britain's Best Baker. These are award-winning flavours. He said, you will be blown away with the explosion of flavour as every ingredient has been carefully selected. The ultimate Reuben sandwich is also great for a healthy gut with fermented ingredients. The relationship with the Beefy Boys is a long-standing one and Peter Cook's bread has been a supplier for the bread for their burgers and also the muffins and milk loaf for breakfasts. Peter Cook's bread intends to do a revolving range, but the Reuben with the Beefy Boys pastrami may be staying due to the positive reception from customers so far. We always use, where we can, a local ingredient. This is a classic sandwich combination. He is exploring the possibility of having the sandwiches sold at other shops, but at the moment they are only available at the shop in the hot market. We are on the edge of moving into another bakery, three times the size of our current one. The shop is staying where it is in Worcester, he said. The bakery, which has also a site in Bishop's Froom, is well known for its long fermentation and sourdough loaves, as well as a delicious range of pastries, including the famous um, Cruffin. They are now poised to move to a new bakery near Bromyard. The Beefy Boys are World Burger Championships finalists and winners of the National Burger Awards. Heroic Dad Rescues Man A hero dad came to the rescue of a man who fell into a freezing cold Droitwich Canal as he and others were alerted by a woman's screams. Ethan Lyons was the first to get into the water to help the man after he fell in the canal at Vines Park in Droitwich on Sunday evening. He said a number of people were involved in helping him as people worked together to get him out of the water. The 22-year-old heard a woman screaming and threw in the life ring before wading into the water, managing to wedge the man's arm and head through the ring before he and another man dragged him to the canal side. Mr Lyons, a supervisor at a plastic moulding factory, said, I was the first person to get in the water and drag him out and start CPR. But I don't want to take the credit. I want everyone to be recognised. If the woman wasn't there, I would not have known he was in the water. People are telling me I should be happy. I saved someone's life, but I don't feel like I should be happy. I feel like I need to see him and just know he's OK, just to put my mind at rest. After the man was put in the recovery position, Mr Lyons ran to Droitwich Fire Station and pressed the buzzer, but said it was busy. By the time he got back to the canal, the emergency services were already there. Now he believes the canal should have railings to stop people falling in future and suggested Salt Fest organisers make it a future fundraising mission. 
His older brother, Charlie Lyons, contacted the Worcester News and said his brother should be praised for his courage. Mr Lyons said, To put yourself in the situation to save someone whilst risking your own life is absolutely amazing and I think he should be recognised for this. A spokesperson for the West Midlands Ambulance Service said, We were called at 6.10pm to reports of a person in the water nearby, in Vines Park. One ambulance, a paramedic officer and a critical care car from Midland Air Ambulance attended the scene. Upon arrival we found a man being cared for by bystanders. Ambulance staff assessed the man who was in a serious condition. He received treatment at the scene and was conveyed to Worcestershire Royal Hospital for further treatment. A spokesperson for the fire service said one Droitwich fire station crew attended the canal in Vines Park with supporting appliances but they were not required. One male casualty has been rescued from the canal by a passerby prior to our arrival. A public meeting has been held to discuss proposed changes to St John's Library. About 90 residents turned up to the meeting which was held at St John's Church in Bromyard Road on Monday evening, October the 16th. It was organised by the Friends of St John's Library who are against plans for the library to become part of Worcestershire County Council's Libraries Unlocked scheme. It is intended to extend the opening hours of the library although it would be unstaffed for parts of the day and the council says it has been successful in other parts of the county. Users would be encouraged to upgrade their memberships so they can access the buildings at times when there are no librarians around. Samantha Evans, who attended the meeting, said Libraries Unlocked would mean doing a one-on-one -on -one informal training for people who do upgrade, which can be hard for those of us who have social anxieties and or, and or our other responsibilities. I would have thought that libraries were meant to have librarians to help those of us who are seeking help with job applications, universal credit and types of research for ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis. The librarians at St John's take great pride in what they do with the variety of clubs they have introduced, the people they've brought in to promote their own work and engage with the families, children and other library users. The staff there have become friends of all of us who have come into their doors, always there to help. There was an overwhelming majority against the idea of using the library without the staff present. This includes the clubs that staff and volunteers have worked so hard in creating and thus making this library the heart of St John's. St John's councillors, including Richard Udall and Robin Norfolk, have been against the plans from the start, even launching a petition that has so far gained more than 1,200 signatures. We have asked the County Council for comment, but they have said nothing. Sponsors bus offer. <clears throat> the Victorian Christmas Fair has a new sponsor as people are urged to travel to the event with their family by bus, thanks to a special offer. The event will be sponsored by First Bus, with preparations well underway as people in the county are urged to make the most of an unlimited travel offer. First Bus is offering a £10 ticket, which will allow five people to have unlimited travel all day on the Worcester network, including travel on the park and ride. The Victorian Christmas Fair draws more than 150,000 people to Worcester across the four days, contributing an estimated £7 million 
to the local economy each year. This year's event will run from Thursday, November the 30th until Sunday, December the 3rd, with nearly 200 stalls filling the city's streets. Visitors can enjoy a host of festive tra traditions such as roasted chestnuts and mulled wine and enjoy stepping back in time to how Christmas might have looked 150 years ago. Seasonal stalls offering locally sourced food, drink, crafts and gifts will be in the place in the High Street, Cathedral Square, Pump Street, New Street, Friar Street, Corn Market and The Shambles. There will also be a programme of entertainment including Victorian characters, entertainers on stilts, musicians and buskers on street corners. The traditional vintage carousel will be in the Corn Market. First Bus will be operating its park and ride service, number 910, providing cheap and convenient way to visit the event. The park and ride goes from County Hall to Worcester Crowngate bus station on Friday from 5 till 10, 5 p.m. till 10 p.m. on Saturday from 8.55 until 6 p.m. and on Sunday from 9.45 to 3.30. Fares will be £2 for a single or £4 return and the company is also offering a £10 group ticket available for up to five people which offers unlimited travel all day within the Worcester network. The group ticket is only available on the First Bus app. Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Louis Stephen, said, I am delighted that the First Bus are sponsoring this year's Victorian Fair. It's one of the highlights of Worcester's calendar and I'm very much looking forward to it. Whatever your age, it provides traditional festive fun and a great chance to pick up locally made Christmas gifts. And that concludes the items this week. Hope you've uh, found them interesting and uh, there's something for everybody there. Um, so we would all like to say good night, please, now, and uh, I shall read the obituaries after that. So good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Some of our listeners have asked if it would be possible to move the useful telephone numbers to the end of the recording, along with the obituaries. This would have two benefits. The first, that the numbers would always be in the same place each week, making them easier to access. And it should also allow a little more time for more news to be recorded. However, before we make this change, we would like to consult you, our listeners, for your feedback. If you should feel strongly about the telephone numbers being moved, please can you let us know, either via a note in your wallet or by leaving a message on the answer phone. And now I'll read the thought for the week. This comes from Isaiah 28, verse 16. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. And the obituaries this week. Sheila Wall uh, died peacefully, aged 97, on the 3rd of October. She was a city councillor for many years, including a term as a deputy mayor. Her funeral will be on the 19th of October, but it's a private family ceremony. Uh, family flowers only, but you can follow the link to sheilawall.muchloved.com to leave tributes and to donate to her memory. Basil Brooks died on the 8th of October, aged 92. His funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 25th of October at 10am. 
Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Eileen Bosley of Suckley died on the 11th of October, aged 93 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 1st of November at 14.30pm. Again, family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, may be given at the funeral service for West Midlands Air Ambulance or sent directly to the charity. Any inquiries, please contact H.H. Handley Funeral Care, 3 Little Hereford Street, Bromyard, HR7 4DE. Rose Pugh passed away peacefully on the 23rd of September, aged 91 years. Her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 23rd of October at 1pm. Family flowers only please, but donations, if desired, for guide dogs may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombsley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Ivy Perkins, knee Powell, passed away in hospital on the 2nd of October, aged 91 years. Her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 26th of October at 11.30am. Family flowers only please, but donations, if desired, for the Injured Jockeys Fund may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Ron Knight... Uh, passed away peacefully on the 19th of September, aged 92 years. His funeral service is at the Vale Crematorium on Monday the 23rd of October at 10am. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersey Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Uh, Lillian Robry, I think known as Lil and Nee Paskin, passed away peacefully on the 15th of September, aged 85 years. Her funeral service is on Friday the 20th of October, so tomorrow at 2.30pm at Worcester Crematorium. No flowers by request, but donations if desired for Marie Curie Cancer Care may be left at the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersey Road, Worcester, WR37EU. And apparently no black dress, please. Bright colours by her request. And Norman Davis, apparently called Dado or Diddy, uh, by most people. Um, he passed away peacefully on the 2nd of October. Um, he's aged 85, year, 85 years. Funeral service on Monday the 23rd of October at 12.15pm at Worcester Crematorium. All friends welcome to say goodbye. No flowers by request, but donations to St Richard's Hospice. And there isn't a funeral director listed on that uh, notice. And that's uh, all of those uh, this week. And I'll, 
our commiserations and our thoughts go out to all the friends and family of those people. And now I'd like to say goodnight to you all. <laughs> <laughs>